Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Michael Grange joins us now on the program. He's with Roger Sportsnet up in Toronto talking about Pascal Siakam. Uh, Michael, first off, one of the great cities in all of North America, man. Appreciate you joining us today. How are you? Uh, I am good. Pleasure to join you guys. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Uh, Okay, so let's get right to this. I guess the first question that I would have, even though I think I have a general idea here, but, you know, Pascal Siakam, obviously, we're talking about an all-NBA-level performer, a guy that fits exactly what Indiana needs. However, he is somebody that, Toronto sends, I thought Indiana probably got the better end of the deal. That could be debated. But the question I would have would be, what was it with Toronto despite the expiring contract? Like, why did they not extend him or why could they not extend Pascal Siakam and had to move him? Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I mean, the most direct way to answer that is they just couldn't agree, the two parties, on what the player was worth. And, um, you know, the Raptors did try to extend him. Uh, going back to, to the beginning of last season, there was a three-year, uh, $125 million extension on the table. That was the max that they could offer at that time. And, you know, Siakam turned it down because he was in a situation where if he made All-NBA last season um, and he was coming off an All-NBA season, he would qualify for the Supermax for a 35%, I guess, four-year extension, kind of around $200 million. Um, don't quote me on the numbers, but uh, that's the gist of it. And, you know, and in that negotiation uh, prior to last season, um, you know, uh, the message was sent that, that look, it's very unlikely that we would budge off this 30%. Um, so, in other words, you could go be third team All NBA, second team All NBA, and, and you know the substance of this wouldn't really change. Um, you know, obviously, if you go out and you're third in the MVP race and you take this team to a conference final, I'm sure the conversation might have been different at that point. But we know that didn't happen. And you know, Siakam had a really good year last year, but he did just miss All NBA, and um, you know, and so I think that sort of divide where, you know, the Raptors saw him as, you know, a three-year, 30% kind of level player, so to speak, which is still on the X. Um, but, and then the player himself saw, wanted more than that. And then even when he didn't qualify for all NBA, like he was looking for uh, a four-year extension and the Raptors never really wanted to move off three. So I think there was just a gap there. And, um, and then when that kind of emerged, and there wasn't a really clear way to bridge it, um, you know, then all of a sudden, you, you, you know, trading him becomes, you know, a higher urgency thing. And, um, and, you know, and then from the player's point of view, it's like, okay, I still think I, you know, this is probably my last kick at getting, you know, a, a really significant deal. And, you know, and I, I'm going to go and try and go, I'm willing to go to free agency or, you know, be part of the trade market and, um you know, maybe there's a there's a four year or more deal out there for me, and uh, you know that's how I think he ends up in Indiana. Michael Grange, Roger Sportsnet, nice enough to take some time with us. Michael, oftentimes when one move happens, you see kind of a domino effect when teams are going through a transition period. Is it 
as recent as with both these players being linked to trade rumors the last two years, was it as recent as OG Ananobi being traded that it felt like Pascal Siakam was likely going to be on the move soon after? Or was it an earlier date than that where it was clear the Raptors were ready to transition to a different stage of the franchise? I mean, I think this time last year, you know, everyone was talking about the Raptors and because they had so many players, you know, either heading to free agency or on and uh, kind of heading towards uh, contract extensions. And, and, and the Raptors just basically kind of said, listen, give us your best offer. We're, we're, we're all ears. But they, at that point, they weren't committed to doing any kind of making any kind of going in any particular direction. Um, in the end, as we know, they, they, they decided to add players in Jakob Pertl and uh, felt that they were in position to, they were closer to being a good team than an average team. And, um, but uh, I think, as I pointed out, I think with OG Ananobi and him being an all NBA defender and the nature of his contract, they knew they weren't going to be able to extend him. Um, there was just more money for him in the, in the marketplace and, uh, you know, the demand for a player of his profile was significant enough that it just made sense to trade him. They did a good job on that trade. And you're right, once he was out the door, I think at that point the Raptors had pretty much chosen a direction. And to sum it up as simply as possible is, you know, they see Scotty Barnes as a budding superstar. And, you know, every move they need to make or wanted to make going forward was is uh, how to best complement him similar to what you guys have done with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and so, you know, you got uh, Pascal, who's going to be 30 at the end of this, this year. And it's not like there's a lot of – it's not like, I mean, I think the idea that they couldn't play together is very overblown. They absolutely could. But you, I think you would have needed to reconfigure the roster around those two guys to make it work best. And I think given the age and, you know, what Pascal was looking for contract-wise, it just made more sense to, to move off of him. And, you know, the real debate – is as you point out these you know these conversations have been out in the public arena now for at least a year and maybe more and and the question and the you know the the question for people in the Toronto market is did they wait too long and by kind of not making this move last year at the trade deadline and you know thing more certainly not making it last summer you know did they you know, did they kind of cost themselves something in terms of an asset? And, and you know, you said off the top, you know, you think Indiana got the better of this trade. And obviously we don't know what these picks turn out to and what other moves follow. But, you know, on the face of it, I think, you know, if you're an Indiana Pacers fan, you got to be ecstatic. Um, you know, I think you – because the two picks that they gave up, the OKC pick or what, and the, their own pick in a very – you know, the back end of a weak draft – and you've already got a roster that's pretty, you know, there's a lot of young players on that roster. You don't really need to add two more development pieces to it. Um, so I'm sure they were, they didn't blink about giving that up, giving up a 2026 lightly protected. That's, you know, that's, that's a real, that's a real asset, but in return, you're getting, you know, I think a player that can instantly change your team um, from the Raptors point of view. The real question, and maybe you guys can answer it is, you know, had they made this deal with Indiana in the summertime, for example, could they have got as part of the package an Andrew Nemhart, a Ben Matherin, a Jerace Walker, um, you know, even, you know, you know, Smith, I think, the, the young center you guys have. 
who's kind of is looking pretty good. So any of these young players that fit Scotty Barnes' timeline, I think would have been would have made this got this deal a little easier sell morning after right now. Um, and and I don't know. And I guess we'll never know. But I'm curious as to if there was an opportunity to make a deal like this in the summer and would. Would one of those pieces be, be included? Yeah, Michael, I agree. I, you know, I, I got the impression Jalen Smith is interesting because, like Pascal Siakam, he's on an expiring deal. So, the, you know what I mean? They're, Indiana must feel confident they can retain him. Um, Matherin is one that I think they are still waiting through to find out what exact kind of future he has, what kind of player he's going to be for them. But it did seem as though Kevin Pritchard, and I do believe this, I think he was pretty adamant that he wanted to maintain as many of those young pieces to to be part of this process as possible. And, and I think you hit on it there. It, it's a really good point of it's a little enigmatic that Toronto would not have played a little hardball to get those guys, but maybe they knew, right? I mean, we don't know. Maybe they knew, hey, it, it's this or nothing. Take it or leave it. And that was their best offer. Um, question I have for you, again, Michael Grange is our guest from Sportsnet up in Canada, covers the Raptors. In Pasco Siakam... I think we know he's a good defender. Obviously, you know, he's been a great player in Toronto. This is an odd question, perhaps, because I know that they won a championship. You know, he, he played with Kawhi Leonard. He played with, with Barnes, as you'd mentioned, and OG Ananobi. But even with that, this clearly, Michael, to your point, is an epicenter team around Tyrese Halliburton. Is Siakam the kind of player that's cool with that? Does he play well with others in terms of does he have – is he okay with the moments of having to defer? A hundred percent. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think if there's been a knock uh, against Pat Siakam here and it kind of reflects in the negotiations I was just laying out is that if he's the best player on your team, is there a ceiling to which your team can actually realistically reach? And, and you know, that really – it really depends. I mean, it depends who the other four guys are, probably. But, but I mean, uh, you know, he's 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 one of these guys where he can absolutely command offensive possessions, and if he's got opportunities in space uh, and one on one, like he is just a monster matchup. Like there's, you know, like I'm not saying he's on the same level as you know Kawhi Leonard or you know these small handful of the super elite guys, but in an environment where I think with the spacing that Indiana has and, um, you know, a, a kind of a point guard, the level of the Halliburton is, I think that, you know, Siakam is going to be a real, you know, he's going to be a really, really good 1A or B, whatever you want to call it. And uh, and if and I don't think he's a guy who, I, don't, I, I know for a fact, he's not a guy who expects the world to revolve around him. Um, either on the floor or off the floor. And um, so I think, you know, if he's – I think a pairing between him and Halliburton is really good. I think he's never played with a point guard as prolific as Halliburton. And coming up earlier in his career, like, what – where Siakam first made his mark was being able to find offense in the cracks around other really, really good players. And he evolved into a guy who could – be very very dangerous as an ISO player who could be an end of shot clock uh, type guy, um, and and I think you know to have I think he's best suited as um, like I say a kind of a one B or a two whatever you might call it 
who situationally can can carry it, you know, either end of clock or certain matchups or certain lineup groups type thing. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, I can't see any reason, honestly, why he's not going to go to Indiana and have tremendous success. What, if any, is the area, Michael Grange, that Pascal Siakam leaves you wanting more? Is there a weakness in his game? Um, he's a little bit finesse. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's a, he's a great athlete. Like, like, don't be, but you know, there's, there's, you know, he maybe lacks that ability to just punish, uh, you know, defenders just physically. He's, he's, you know, he's, so he's, he's got a lot in his bag. He's a really crafty one-on-one player. But if you were to really nitpick, and I'd say it's nitpicking, it's when he gets into kind of finishing situations, he ends up relying a bit on finesse. He doesn't maybe draw the fouls he he could conceivably, and he ends up like a lot of guys who have to carry you know offense late in clocks and one-on-one type situations. He kind of ends up in a little bit of uh, sort of you know that mid-range so-called no man's land. I mean, it's still a pretty valuable place to score, but. Um, you know, if he's if if those shots aren't falling, you know, you know, like anyone else, it looks pretty rough. So, but like the reality is, they do fall, and he's able to get to the rim, and he is able to get to finish at the rim. So that would be it. Is is if you're looking for a guy who's just going to kind of put people in the basket, that's not really him. If uh, and as a shooter, he's he's kind of interesting. He, he's kind of had a, this year has been incredible. Like he's had. He had the worst three-point shooting slump of his career. Uh, it was just horrendous. Still managed to be pretty productive through it. And then the last 17, 18, 20 games or whatever the number is, he's been unbelievable. He's been about 46, 47% from three. I don't think that's going to continue either. But, you know, I think as a catch-and-shoot three guy, which he may have more opportunity to do playing off Halliburton and the other spacing you guys have, um, you know, I think career he's above league average. And he might have had one season around 40%. So, you know, if you're looking for him to dribble into threes and step, you know, sidestep and all that kind of thing, well, you know, good luck. But, you know, taking good quality threes, I think he's reasonable. And um, like I said, if you're looking for a guy to someone who's going to put someone in the basket and go to the free throw line 15 times a game, you know, uh, there's a reason he's not, you know, an MVP. He's just a he's just really good. <laughs> Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet is our guest. Michael, it's been well documented that in terms of efficiency as a scorer over the four and a half seasons post Kawhi, Siakam's numbers have dipped. Is there reason for Pacers fans and the franchise itself to think that he can become a more efficient scorer again playing alongside such a crafty distributor like Tyrese Halliburton? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Raptors' story uh, since, you know, their championship teams, let's just say the last, like, let's throw out the Tampa year. That was just a disaster for kind of everybody. Um, But in the two seasons since, uh, they just have not had enough quality shooting to space the floor properly. And, you know, the way Nick Nurse at that time kind of, uh, remedied that was, you know what, we're just going to put the ball in the hands of our best players, our best, whatever the best matchup is we can find, and just let them go to work. And, um, it, you know, it was effective in the sense there wasn't a ton of turnovers. Uh, it was effective that you had good players taking reasonably good shots. But as you guys know, if you're constantly 
going one on one in ISO situations, your efficiency is going to going to tumble unless you're, you know, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo or something. So, um, so I think that really explains it. Uh, you know, it's just a shot diet he was working with by design. Like it wasn't like he was he was it was his plan. Um, and I think what if there's been an uptick this year, I think even with a, I reference that uh, horrendous slump from three to start the season. Um, I think his true shooting percentage is up over 600, 60% this year, which is really good. And um, and I think the, the attribute that you can attribute that to to an offense that's based much more on uh, off ball movement, cutting, and uh, player movement. And and I think again, when what I've seen of Indiana, like I'm not an expert. It's not like I've watched 50 of your games, but um, you know from what I've seen, you know the, the there's a lot of five out. There's a lot of room on the floor. There's a lot of, you know, if you move, you're going to get it. There's a lot of scoring in transition. And, you know, Siakam's great at all those things. And then I think what he can, you know, if you do need to get a bucket and the matchup's right, he's, uh, you know, he's probably top 20, top top 15 in, in the league of being able to get his own. And Michael, by all accounts, and appreciate the time today, pretty good dude. I mean, from everything I've read, you know, obviously we don't know these guys intimately, but um, – Seems like a guy that was involved in the community in Toronto and the people in Indianapolis, from what I can see, should be happy about what he might contribute outside of basketball. Just seems like a pretty good dude. Fair assessment? Yeah, no, he, yeah, no 100%. I mean, he's, you know, he's not like the warmest, fuzziest guy. Like, he's not, you know, he's not out there to, to make, his, make best friends with everybody. Um, I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. Like, he's very sincere. Like, he's very professional. He's... he's he really is like a guy, a gym rat, a guy who's turned his career into something special with zero expectations, really. And uh, he's done it by kind of putting his head down. And, and I think this last year, I'm going to say, where his name's been in the trade, trade, you know, there's been a lot of rumors. It's been, I think, a stressful situation. Um, I don't think it's been a pleasant situation. You know, he never, you know, all he ever did was like, look, I'm a hooper. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to do my work and my game will show. And, you know, and I think there's not a lot of guys who could have handled that as, as well as he has. And it's certainly his performance, I think, wasn't negatively affected. I don't, you know, like overall, like you'd have to give him pretty good marks for that. He's never going to be a problem in your community. He's never going to be a problem in, in you know, uh, as a teammate. Um, you know, he's a, he's a hard-nosed guy who came up uh, – Nothing was ever handed to him, and he's earned every bit. Um, and so, yeah, I I think uh, I don't see why people in Indiana wouldn't really come to appreciate him. Michael, appreciate it. Put on your best root sweatshirt, go to Jack Astor's, and have a barking squirrel, man. Appreciate the time. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Right. Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet in Toronto, talking about Pascal Siakam. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us now on the program, he talks about the Indiana Pacers on his podcast, Setting the Pace. You can also read his Substack, which is blue and golden. And Alex Golden, now Alex, I said I'm going to pick on you. Are you ready for me to pick on you? I'm ready for it. So when I, I when I had sent a tweet that said if the Pacers are going to send Bruce Brown, I'm paraphrasing, if they're going to send Bruce Brown and multiple picks 
for Pascal Siakam. I'm cool with that. But if they need to throw in a salary match, I would not include Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, and possibly even Buddy Heald. And I think you were like, nah, man, come on, you can't do that. And in turn, I'll be honest, I I think that's what Indiana's stance was. I I was basically mimicking or parroting what I thought Indiana's stance was. And so now I'm here to flex. Is that cool? That's that's fun. I I was waiting for this moment to happen today. I won't mind. Uh, (laughs) I was just, you called them untouchables. And I was like, I don't know if I can consider them untouchables. That's all I was really trying to get at there was, are, are we are we going to let a Jalen Smith potential expiring contract or a Buddy Hill expiring contract be what stops us from getting Pascal Siakam on the Indiana Pacers? I was like, are we, are we really going to do that? But they didn't have to. So, uh, you know what? You you had a better pulse on it than I did. The Pacers clearly had a stronger stance on what they wanted. So, you know what? I'm glad it worked out that way. I cannot believe the Pacers were able to pull off what they pulled off in terms of only giving away – two players really in this trade. Yeah, I mean, kidding aside, Alex, it does feel like, and I I don't know definitively that they gave a hard line, right? But it does, Mm -hmm. in reality, this feels like a steal. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I I completely agree. I mean, you're talking about Jordan Moore, who was not going to be on the roster after the trade deadline no matter what. So he's the salary player that you need. You make that savvy move to get a second-round pick from New Orleans, get Kyra Lewis in here so you can aggregate his salary with Mora and Bruce Brown in the trade. And then Bruce, I mean, I think everybody knew when Bruce was brought in here at that high of a number that it was used to be part of a trade package. And that's why I think that Toronto wanted to get this deal done too a little bit early because I think Bruce is very, very tradable for them. So to me, I I think that getting Bruce was probably more important to Toronto than Buddy Hill because I think Bruce is more of a trade asset than Buddy Hill and they could probably get a first for him. But you're talking about three picks that really I don't think are going to be that great pick-wise and not to put the Pacers front office down or anything, but their their history of draft picks in the you know late, late part of the draft has not been spectacular. So rather to bank on what you do now than what you don't. So I want to clarify here because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, admittedly, Alex, but when you say that Bruce Brown's contract, you know, when Bruce Brown signed here, the thought was that, Indiana paid him more than probably the open market would have gotten. Are you saying that you think Bruce Brown is a wanted commodity because his contract is one that people would want to take on to get out from under something or because they because in other words, if in fact he's overpaid, what would make him a desirable trade piece? Well, he's got a team option. I think that's what's really huge about this because Look at a team like I'm, I know there's been rumors about maybe the Knicks have interest in Bruce Brown. I, I'm keeping my eyes on Golden State because of how bad Andrew Wiggins has played. Uh, if they could somehow do an Andrew Wiggins for Bruce Brown swap, does that make sense? They get off that cap of Andrew Wiggins, save some money out of the tax, but they also get a guy that can help them win right now. And then they can decline that team option, renegotiate. I mean, there's a lot of different options you can do with it. I just feel like there's more flexibility and more team control knowing that you do have that uh, option of having a team option for next season. Alex Golden covers the pace. We're for setting the pace, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Alex, we talked to Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet up in Toronto earlier today. I asked him this question. I want to get your perspective as somebody that covers the Pacers regularly. In the post-Kawhi Leonard years, so since 2019 when they win the title, the scoring efficiency of Siakam has slowly dipped over time to the point where it, he's basically a average to below average score in terms of efficiency rating for the Pacers. They are a team that is one of the highest scoring efficiency rated teams, one of the highest points per game teams in the league. 
and you have an otherworldly guard in Tyrese Halliburton. Is it fair to think that Pascal Siakam can return to a higher efficiency level given the guard he's now going to be paired with in Tyrese Halliburton? 100%. I, I definitely think that the efficiency numbers will be better just because we've seen how Tyrese Halliburton makes life easier on everybody. So he's going to run the floor. Tyrese is going to get him open shots. And then Tyrese just draws so much attention to what he's doing that it's going to keep teams from double teaming uh, Pascal Siakam and trying to put so much pressure on him. I know that Pascal over the past like 17, 20 games has really been shooting the ball up in three, too. So we're seeing Pascal kind of evolve a little bit. We're going to probably need him to, to be a better three-point shooter than his season averages right now. But I think that Tyrese is just going to open up the floor for him even more, and I think he's going to do the same thing for Tyrese. So I, I look at this Toronto team over the past couple of years, and I know Fred VanVleet's kind of been their point guard, but as good of a point guard as Fred VanVleet is, he's not anywhere close to the level that Tyrese Halliburton is. So I think that life is going to get a lot easier for Pascal Siakam. You know, when you look at it, I, Alex, to me, the one thing about Siakam, there were two actually two things to me that are intriguing, okay? The first is, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm overstating this, Alex, but, you know, Siakam is a lot like Halliburton in the fact that he went, you know, he wasn't a huge star in college. He was a little bit off radar. He went to, you know, he didn't, he didn't come from a Kansas or a Kentucky or a Duke where there maybe is a little bit of like an entitlement to it and everything's kind of earned. So you don't have the diva nature to it, I don't think. But he's also been running with – he has he knows deferment. I mean, he played with Kawhi Leonard. He plays now with Barnes. You know, he, So it seems like for a big-time star, he fits the Indiana mold. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I was actually thinking about this today before I came on. There's a lot of guys on this Pacers team that maybe have been a little bit under the radar, have been a little bit – uh, underappreciated by their own franchises, right? You know, Pascal Siakam wanted to stay in Toronto. That was the whole pushing point that I've heard for the last little bit anyway, is that he really wanted to re-up in Toronto, wanted to basically retire a Raptor, but they were unwilling to commit to him. So I think that, you know, he he's definitely cut from that cloth that he doesn't need all this media attention. He'll take it, obviously, if he can, can help him get more money, right? But I think that he's not a guy that's, going to be looking for greener pastures. He's not a guy like a Paul George was that was looking for a bigger market. I think he just wants to play basketball and win. And with everything that was out there on the table, I think Indiana long-term and short-term probably gives him the best chance to do that. When you look at the rest of their expiring contracts or players that are going to be potential free agents going into the offseason, Alex Golden is setting the pace, takes some time with us. Do you get the sense that they might not be done. I feel like they're probably done in terms of like big, splashy deals, but in terms of looking at tough choices they're going to have to make on top of the need to extend Siakam this coming offseason, could you envision them with the expiring contracts they have that are attractive to some teams be leading to another move of some kind? I think we've got to keep our eye on it. It feels like there could be another move here. It's just what kind of move are they going to make and how much are they going to want to upset the fruit basket in terms of what they've already built here so far this season. There's question marks on whether Buddy Hill will come back. Jalen Smith's got the player option. Obi Toppin's entering restricted free agency. So all three of those guys could be off the books next year. But at what point you know, do you, do you let those assets walk for nothing? Do you try to maybe find a way to move off of them? I think that there is a little bit of a logjam now in the front court with Brandon and Pascal moving off of Bruce and Jordan Mora. 
Obi Toppin more than likely, maybe the backup power forward, but where does that put Jalen Smith? Does that put him at the five? Now where's Isaiah Jackson getting minutes? So then you got Jairus Walker, who's also the rookie they drafted, you know, as a third string power forward once again. So I definitely think they do have some question marks there. Um, I feel like Isaiah Jackson's play this season has kind of made it hard for them to keep him off the court. So that is where I could see them potentially moving a Jalen Smith. But at the same time, you have to wonder how much of, of a value he'll have across the league because he has that player option. I think Obi Toppin might be the guy to keep an eye on in terms of who they move. And if they need bigger salary, Buddy Hill could be involved. But I think they really value his shooting, especially with the roster they have currently constructed. From a minute standpoint, and Siakam's going to take a large part of it in terms of where you're allocating minutes, but when you look at where the rotation is, who has the most to gain from that specific position group with Bruce Brown now being in Toronto? Yeah, I think it's kind of a, a really, it's a combination of players, to be honest with you, Jimmy. I, I think TJ McConnell definitely has a huge opportunity now to be the, for sure, back a point guard for this team. And we've, we've debated back and forth on the podcast who would start as a shooting guard. I think Buddy Hill does make some sense, but if they want more of a defensive-minded guy, they could start Andrew Nimhart there, who did a pretty good job while Bruce was out. So that brings Buddy off the bench with Ben Matherin. And I think that that kind of makes sense, too, just because it gives you that scoring punch off the bench that you need. So I think really a combination of those four players, you're going to see an uptick in minutes because Bruce was playing, what, 32, 35 minutes a game. It felt like there for a while. So he was logging quite a few minutes when he was healthy. And I, I would anticipate you see more Nimhard, more McConnell, more Buddy, more Ben. I think it's just a combination of everybody's minutes probably is a little bit more even across the board. Alex, tell me something, if anything, that Bruce Brown does that Pascal Siakam does not. Ooh, that's a good question. Probably a better shooter. Um, other than that, I don't know. Maybe he wears a cowboy hat better. I, I can't really think of <laughs> Pascal Siakam is wearing a Red Bull baseball cap when he arrived in Indy. Is there a Red Bull yeah. sponsorship there? What's going on? I I don't know. He has a lot of sponsorships. I know he's got a big one with McDonald's right now. Um, other than that, I haven't really looked into too much of what Pascal sponsorships are. But do, do, do they have? Does McDonald's have a spicy pea burger? Because we're trying to get spicy pea wings at Big Lug. He's got he's got spicy McNuggets with like a spicy buffalo sauce, and then he's got a McFlurry, a Pascal McFlurry. So that's like on one of his like pinned reels on Instagram. So. You know, maybe the McDonald's sponsorship will carry over here. Who knows? But I uh, I think he was really loved in Toronto. That's, that's a crazy thing. He had a lot of endorsements there. Spicy pepper McChicken, I feel like, is the angle to go a there, spicy right? Spicy McFlurry I mean, sounds horrific, though. I, right? I, I, I don't think I'm about that. <laughs> I wouldn't go for yeah. the spicy McFlurry, right? No. The machine's going to be broken probably anyway. Well dude. done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Alex, tell me this. Alex Golden, our guest, by the way, setting the pace of the podcast. Uh Tell me the player, not named Tyrese Halliburton, that is most excited to have Pascal Siakam on the roster. I think it's going to be Miles Turner, right? Miles Turner finally gets a four that I think really fits him and is a really good passer. So you're talking about a guy that's going to be able to kind of help this whole situation out with Tyrese and Miles and Pascal. I think that's a really strong big three. I think Aaron Eastman has to feel pretty good too because he's kind of shored up that small forward starting spot. And it just allows him not to have to guard the fours of every time they play a team. He can probably guard more disposition and not get himself stuck getting an early foul trouble trying to defend guys like Giannis, LeBron, James. Now you have Pascal Siakam, who's six foot nine, six foot ten, that can be able to maybe kind of bear some of those guys instead of putting all that pressure on a, on an Aaron Smith. Hey, Alex, have you seen? Um, no spoilers, even though it's been you know thirty years. 
Uh, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? You know, I'm not a big movie watcher. I've probably seen parts of it, but I don't remember anything. So, so no, I, I'm pretty bad with movie movie references. I forgive you. <laughs> As do I. Do you want to come to our Shawshank party? I'm I'm clearly now like outvoted here. I I. I I know I'm old and outdated, but I'm like, am I talking to the only three people in Central Indiana that have not seen Shawshank Redemption? So I'm kind of movie shaming, I guess. Do you want to come to our movie viewing party, though? Are you going to watch it? Is that what you're going to watch? Well, I've seen it like, I probably, I don't know if I've seen Shawshank Redemption more or the Indiana Pacers in person. It's close. <laughs> I mean, I'm up for it. If you guys are going to have a watch party, I'll, I'll come watch it. I mean, I'm good for. I'm down for a good movie. Do you I want just, a Do you want a Boddington's Pub Ale or a PBR? Well, I don't drink, so okay. Diet Coke. I'll do a Coke Zero if you got Coke Zero. Yeah, Coke Zero works. That's what they have in Europe. Coke Zero is cool. Okay, I'm down with that. Uh, Doritos or Fritos? Chili cheese Fritos. Mm, that's a tough one right there. I like a good Frito, but uh, are Doritos overrated? I feel like they kind of are, right? Ooh. I'm a big nacho cheese guy. I the, can't get on that train. I'm the sorry. The Cool Ranch Doritos are a little overrated because they kind of irritate yeah. your mouth after a while. I'm with you there. Um, I, I like a, I like the spicy nacho Doritos. Those are pretty good. Hey, Alex, what do we want to see? Uh, well, spicy pea, right? You'll, you'll get those. There we go. It's another Pascal Siakam reference. What, what do we, we want to see from Indiana here? It almost feels like now the end of this West Coast trip. You got Sacramento tonight, and then I think it's Portland Phoenix. What do we want to see in terms of just stylistically before they come back home? Or is it now just about blending in Pascal Siakam? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Pascal will not play tonight from what I've heard. So he'll be joining the team tomorrow in Portland and probably will get some run there. But for tonight, obviously, no Bruce Brown. He didn't play in the last game. So everyone's just going to keep playing the same style they've been doing. I don't think you really want to change too much stylistically. You just want to get Pascal uh, acclimated. And I think there's a, a very good chance of winning Portland on the road Friday night with Pascal's first game. I think Sacramento is going to be a tall task. And then Phoenix to kind of close it out. It's not an easy road trip whatsoever, but I just, I just want to see them play the way they've been playing. I mean, they've been playing really good basketball. I don't want the trade stuff to kind of impact how they're playing. I just want to see guys – do what they're doing and, and keep keep focusing on what's important because, you know, we, we've seen them win nine of their last 12 games. They've been playing great basketball. They've been clicking. And when you make a trade like this, it can kind of upset the fruit basket a little bit. But I, I think everybody's pretty excited. Nobody for this team that's out here long-term is going to be moving anywhere. So I think they just need to stay the course and just, you know, take care of business. I mean, they, they really could end this road trip potentially with three wins. They've already got one in Atlanta. I think there's a possibility that – they could beat Sacramento. It's just going to be tough, especially without Bruce there, but uh, and Pascal not being able to play now. So it's. Uh, I think they just got to just take it day at a day, at, one day at a time, and just work their way into this until Tyrese is back. But I did think it was interesting that Tyrese was already list, listed as questionable yeah. for tonight's game. I think that his recovery being this quick is, is quite remarkable. I think he said that, you know, hey, I avoided a major disaster there in terms of the injury itself. Better to be safe than sorry, obviously. Alex Golden, our guest. Alex, excuse me. Alex, lastly, um, then what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh, man, this is putting me on the spot. I don't I don't, I don't know. This might be a hot take. It's uh, There's a lot that I do like. I, I'm probably like more of a, a childhood movie kind of person. So I love all the Toy Story movies. I know that sounds crazy to talk about Pixar being one of my favorite films. No, that's but, cool. 
Yeah, I liked all those growing up. It's kind of a nostalgic thing for me. But if I'm, I like old school movies too. So I really enjoy To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck, just to throw an old one out there at you. Nice. I can go with that. That's cool. I'm actually going to see To Kill a Mockingbird um, coming up at Clues Hall in, I don't know, a couple of weeks. So I'm down yeah. with that. That's cool. Nothing wrong yeah, with a little Atticus Finch. Yeah. Gregory Peck is a great actor in that movie. I won't lie. Gregory Peck's one of the greats. Alex, appreciate it as always, man. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Again, on Substack, you can read his work, Blue and Golden. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us now on the program, longtime writer and media member in central Indiana, Bob Kravitz, joins us on the program. Bob, who has his Substack column and the latest in it, is about in bobkravitz.com by the way is bob that's where people can read your substack correct absolutely okay uh the the title of it and and i know this wasn't easy for you to write i wanted to to just give you the opportunity to expand on it it's time for jim mercy to cede control of the colts to his daughters that's the column that just went out about an hour ago take me through just kind of the thought process uh and the column itself about somebody that i know you do have a respect for in jim mercy yeah, I, I really do. Um, I mean, my, my heart goes out to him. Whatever he's going through uh, with the uh, the uh, suspected OD uh, or the uh, respiratory infection, but um, you know, this is a quasi public enterprise. The Indianapolis Colts they they get a lot of money, and Jim gets a lot of money from the public, and I think the public has every right to know that the guy running this franchise is in his right mind. And, um, you know, I mean, you look at some of the weirdness last year. Do I know, do I know that he was uh, altered chemically? I don't. He's quirky. So you never know when it's just Jim being weird and when it's Jim under the influence. But I believe uh, it's time to, uh, to, to look at the daughters who have been pre- preparing uh, for this day to come, maybe not in this form or fashion, but Carly in particular, um, to take control of the team uh, on a regular basis, uh, whether it's uh, full-time, you know, whether it's forever or just for a period of time till Jim gets himself together, uh, I'm inclined to think that it's just time to make the change. Bob, would you let's go back to kind of your relationship with Jim Irsay. And I say that because I want to, you know, present both sides and be fair so that people understand. Um, you have had, I mean, I would say what a friendship with Jim Irsay, or certainly a, a mutual trust and respect between the two yeah. of you. Um, so, how difficult has it been? for you to kind of see the last year or so some of the struggles that Jim Mercedes had and have you had concern for a while? Yeah, I, I kind of have. I, I, you know, I, the idea that this is his second overdose, by the way, is, is, you know, kind of absurd. I mean, he's, he's had these problems for a long time and uh, on multiple occasions, but um, yeah, I, you're I, saying you I think mean, there I, would be more than two. Oh, oh gosh, yes, yeah. I mean, good God, he's been to rehab over fifteen times. I mean, you know, um, 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, do I know that for a fact? No, I guess not. But uh, I just, I just, I, I'm quite sure that this has been a regular occurrence, uh, a more, a more regular occurrence. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't, I know what the Indianapolis Colts mean to Jim Irsay. They are his everything. They are the center of his existence besides his family. And the idea of the team being moved away from him uh, and moved on to Carly and and the other daughters um, is pretty radical. But um, I think if you're a fan, don't you worry about your team when the guy who's the steward of the team constantly has these issues? So that's kind of the way I look at it. Do you, do you think of it, Bob, in terms of be, just the fact that he would be altered in his decision-making or the yes. fact that he has an illness and thus is not around? No, I, I, I think more more so uh, the questioning of his judgment. Like, like, you know, the last year or two, the decision, which I thought was a little bit rash to, to, to uh, get rid of Carson Wentz, the decision to play Sam Ellinger, mandate that the decision to fire Frank Reich and to hire Jeff Saturday of all people, uh, with all due respect to Jeff Saturday, but it was a weird decision. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm paying all this money for tickets and merchandise, I want to know that the guy who's signing off on the biggest decisions is in his right mind. And let's be honest, we don't know when Jim is in his right mind. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Bob Kravitz is our guest. Again, his piece up on BobKravitz.com. It's time for Jim Irsay to cede control of the Colts to his daughters. Bob, in terms of those that aren't in the know of the intricacies of NFL ownership, I would imagine it's, it's slightly easier for control to be shifted when it's within a family but how difficult of a process would that be if it was to occur you know i'll be i'll be perfectly honest with you man i do not know the answer to that uh i i don't know how succession plans work i've never even seen the show succession um i i have no earthly idea how that would work i've got to imagine it would be i mean lawyers would get involved because lawyers always get involved but you know, it, it wouldn't be anything like what Jim went through to get the team from, I believe it was his stepmother. Um, correct. That's correct. Uh, after Robert Ursay died. Uh, I can't imagine it's all that complicated. I'm, I'm quite sure that he's already drawn up uh, a pretty clear succession plan. Look, I, you know and I know this isn't going to happen, but I think it should happen. And would it be the best for Jim Ursay and his health? That I don't know. I really don't. It might be good. It might be bad. But I, I think that uh, as a quasi-public enterprise that is bankrolled largely by by fans and, and observers, that uh, you owe it to them to give them leadership they can count on. You know, it's interesting, Bob, because Bob Kravitz, our guest, I totally agree. I think, you know, I've been pretty vociferous over the years about my thoughts on public subsidy of, of franchises and the amount they should get. You know, Lucas Oil Stadium essentially, you know, 
Jim Mercer's net worth was large is largely due to the the level of of which it almost doubled in the last twenty years is largely due to Lucas Oil Stadium and everything that comes from that in terms of the money that goes back into the Colts, which is Jim Mercer himself. But um, the when you say quasi publicly, you know, I mean, there's a lot of tax dollars that go into the Colts for sure, yeah. right? And I think more so than in most franchises. Um, but it doesn't feel like that money is what is necessary for the Colts to operate. It is strictly luxury money for them. Does that in any way, shape, or form change the obligation that the Colts have to the public? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, kind of. Um, I'm a little confused by the question, but... Well, in uh, other words, in other words yeah. if, if, if tax dollars were the basis of existence for the Indianapolis Colts, that changes everything. It's not. The tax dollars are... The, the are a bonus for them, right? They don't need the public subsidy in order to function, but no, it made no. it's made them really rich, right? It's made them really, really rich. And look, that money is still coming out of our pockets, bottom line. That money is still coming out of our pockets. And, um, you know, I, I just think that if you're a hardcore Colts fan, you want to know that the guy making these, making, signing off on these decisions, I don't want to make it sound like he's making making i mean ballard is still the guy pete ward but i i i kind of lost my train of thought that's terrible i'm sorry well um last question i guess regarding all of it bob yeah when did you last talk to jim mercy or communicate with him or text message you know direct message whatever it might be it's been a while it's been a while a couple months probably just, just, uh, I just texted to see how he was doing. And did you hear back? I don't recall that I did. I don't recall that I did. And you, you corresponded with him, like, I mean, in other words, is that a typical? Like, did you have regular correspondence with him and tell him? No, not go, lately. Or? You know, when, when when I was younger, when we were both younger, uh, we were in in touch quite a bit. But uh, you know, given the different kinds of jobs I've had lately and being less beat oriented uh i have not been in touch with him nearly as much but every once in a while i'll reach out and just and every once in a while he'll send me uh, a uh, a voice text whatever those things are and uh you know have something to say but uh, nothing nothing too significant bob do you like the pascal siakam trade oh i love it hey look if he signs here, and I'm told that it's a really good chance that he will, it is a master stroke. If he doesn't sign here, you know, you don't like to lose first-round picks, but they're going to be middling to late first-round picks anyway. Bruce Brown wasn't coming back next year because he had, a, uh, he had an option next year. He wasn't likely to come back next year. Jordan Wara is barely a rotation guy. So yeah, uh, I mean, even if he signs, if he signs somewhere else next year, that would suck. But you know, it's it's. I think it's still worth worth the risk. And, and boy, it's nice to see the Indiana Pacers take a big swing. It's something that uh, we haven't we haven't really seen uh, over the years. Of course, they didn't make a. I mean, they've made some trades when they had to make some trades uh, with uh, Oladipo and George. But uh, this was a kid. This this to me was a great great deal, and 
it, I think they will be in the top four in the Eastern Conference before it's all said and done. Bob, it's interesting to me, Bob Kravitz, our guest, you know, the a year ago, it's hard to believe this because it feels like it was five years ago, but at the beginning yeah. of last season, Kevin Pritchard, Rick Carlisle, you know, they basically said, like, guys, gals, have some patience here because we're starting this thing from scratch. And then I think they they knew Halliburton, they had something there. I think Andrew Nimhard surprised him at the level that he was able to play, you know, Matherin, et cetera. But what I was going to say, Bob, is it feels like this move is the Colts, or excuse me, the Pacers basically saying, okay, like we're in now. You know what I mean? Like now yeah. we, it came faster than they expected. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, I think, I mean, look, they won 25 games two years ago, 35 last year. I, I think they were looking at 40, 42, you know, be about a 500 team, a little bit better than 500. Uh, I, I think this puts them in a whole different stratosphere. And what's interesting and I think instructive about all of this is that they were able to do this without tanking. And, you know, 25 wins is, is bad, but it's not a complete tank job like, you know, Detroit or, or Philly back in the day with the process. So, uh, you know, they didn't have to break it down to the stud, break it down to the studs uh, in order to get back. And we saw Donnie Walsh, who you may know, uh, we saw Donnie Walsh do this twice with the Pacers back in the day where he rebuilt on the run. And it, it, to me, give a great deal of credit to the Pacers front office, Kevin Pritchard and everybody else. Uh, I've met him, by the way, Bob. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I don't think we've talked on the air at least since, but pretty fun New Year's Eve, right? You, yeah, I, I'll give I, you credit, man. I, I threw it out there when you were on the air and you said, you know what, I'm in, and you came out and joined us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great, great seeing Shannon, and uh, we had a uh, we. Uh, I had a good time, and uh, I spent a couple more minutes there talking to some people after you left, and got out of there about eleven fifteen because I'm an old man. Got home in time to wish my wife a happy New Year, and uh, that was that. It was a good time as always. Bob, I appreciate it on short notice today, especially, and I know it wasn't an easy column to write, but I uh, want to encourage people to go and check it out. Tell people again how they can. Subscribe to what it is that you're writing each and every week. Just just go to bobkravitz.com, simple enough, and you can sign up. Uh, you can do a free subscription, or hopefully you'll do a paid subscription and get the full width and breadth of my witticisms. Appreciate it, Bob. All right, buddy. All right, Take Bob care. Kravitz joining us on the program. Very interesting conversation. Um, and we did have fun on New Year's Eve.